Not that many years ago, I heard of a pastor in Southern California uh, who they, they needed to build a new building because they had outgrown their building. And he was proposing that since it was Southern California, that they build a building that would be outdoor, no ceiling, no roof, no nothing, um, because it would be a big waste of money to have a ceiling when maybe twice a year it would be raining in Southern California or something like that. And his rationale was people are willing to go to Packers games and sit outside and put cheese things on their heads. So if, I mean, if, if you're, you can be that committed, surely if you wanted to gather to worship Jesus, you could get rained on twice a year. So, Having said that, the moral of the story, he's not a pastor anymore. <laughs> probably a reflection that we're all pretty soft um, is probably how, how that goes. We should pray after that, right? Father, thank you again for this morning. Uh, We're thankful to be able to come and find encouragement in the gospel. And we're thankful for the body of Christ here at Omaha Bible Church to be able to worship you uh, in different ways that you've called us to worship you, whether it be singing together, singing to you, singing to one another, um, through our offerings, through the preaching and listening of your word, uh, praying together as well. We are thankful for these things that we're able to participate in And our desire is to give you honor and glory and also to receive from you uh, the promises that are ours in Christ. May this happen even as we study your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I were a life coach, I would give you resolutions, right? I'd say, all right, it's a new year. Uh, Here here are your resolutions. I'm going to give you Bible verses to go along with them. Um, And I think there's a place for life coaches, There's a place for resolutions. Um, There are certain things I like to change about my life, and that's just kind of how life is. Um, So I'm not against life coaches, but I'm a pastor. And so instead of trying to get you to do more things this year, even though I hope certain things happen, uh, what I would like to do is encourage you to be ready for this year, to be ready for the things that that will happen this year. Okay? Resolutions or not. Uh, We're going to talk this morning about what will happen in the year ahead. This is New Year's Eve, and so I'm going to offer you seven things that will happen in your life this next year, or will happen in life, maybe not in your life in particular. Uh, And the reason I'm doing this is because I want you to be prepared. I want you to know what the Bible says. Um, I want you to be prepared and know, uh, to know so you can be prepared so that you can Be bold when you need to be bold in the year ahead so that you can find joy even amidst difficulty in the year ahead because you know these things are what God says. Um, And overall, like I said, I want you to be encouraged in the year ahead and, and, and part of that is just being eyes wide open. So seven things that will happen this next year should give you motivation, confidence, encouragement. Uh, Number one, Jesus will build his church. Matthew chapter 16 is the text that I'll draw your attention to. Jesus will build his church in the year ahead. Okay? So these aren't prophecies. Uh, I didn't pray and ask God to give me a new word from him. Uh, These are things that are biblical things we know are going to happen in the year ahead. And they help us understand the year ahead. I think I did something like this last year. uh, Different list. Uh, In some ways I want to do it every year because a big reason why our lives are so messed up and we add insult to injury sometimes and we don't live very successful Christian lives is because we don't know these things. So we don't know what to expect. 
We don't know how to respond. So number one, Jesus will build his church in the year ahead. Matthew 16. This is countercultural in two ways. It's countercultural because, uh, as I heard someone say yesterday, I like Jesus, but I don't like organized religion like church. Well, Jesus is very fond of his bride, okay? Um, and his bride is the church. And so it's countercultural when we say Jesus will build his church this next year. It's also countercultural when we say he will build his church because so many times we think we're supposed to be building the church. Okay? But the Bible teaches that Jesus is going to build His church. We're not even going to try next year. We're not going to try to be building His church. Though we could, because if I look on the internet, I find eight steps on how to build the church, seven ways how to build the church, ten ways how to build the church, eleven tips on how to build the church, six tools for building the church, and my personal favorite, four tricks for building the church. We don't want to do any trickery. We want to see Jesus build His church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 says, He said to them, Jesus says to His disciples, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited, anointed, forever ruling, good, sovereign king is the idea there. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 17, and Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You, that's the right answer, right? Is what he's saying. My Father who is in heaven. 18, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I, here we go, will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Love that verse. Love that reality. Love knowing that. I love you knowing that. Jesus is the one, and Jesus will build His church. It's His, and He builds it. Yes, He does it through the apostles and prophets. Yes, He does it through people who would come after Him. No doubt He uses means, and we're going to talk about that. But we have to, have to, have to know, lest we resort to trickery. I don't know how to act out trickery, but this seems like trickery to to me. We don't do baiting and switching. We don't do salesmanship. We don't do uh, all that kind of thing. What we want to do is what we're going to see in a moment when it comes to the second aspect or second thing. But what we first need to know is Jesus promised to build His church. Not even hell can stop it. Now, Jesus may mean not even death can stop it because he uses a word that could could mean the grave. And that certainly is true, right? He's going to be crucified. He is going to be killed. And even the death of Jesus can't stop him. Isn't it amazing? Can't stop him from building his church because he's going to be resurrected. And actually, the church is going to be based upon his atoning sacrifice and his resurrection. Or it can have to do with hell, which is how it's translated in our English language, and Satan and all of his minions and all of the opposition who would be against him. Not even that can stop him. So I want to remind you today, this morning, as we think ahead and we see this crisis and we see this difficulty, and we see this kind of challenge, and we're discouraged on different fronts and on different levels, and we're encouraged on other levels, 
Jesus is, no matter what, building his church. And that's meant to give us encouragement and comfort. No matter how things might look, he's building his church. Let's also remember that we shouldn't try to be competing with him. Okay, we're, we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to build a church. He's doing that. Let's move on to a second thing. Oh, by the way, Acts 2.47. I love Acts 2.47 because it complements that, that text. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord was building His church post-resurrection. Through the proclamation of His word, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved, because you're saved and then you're part of the church. That brings us to a second thing that will happen in the year ahead, and that will be faith will come by hearing. Faith will come by hearing. And this is Romans chapter 10. And to maybe bridge the gap between Acts chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 16, and as you're turning to Romans chapter 10, please do, the Lord builds His church by adding to its number. The church is the body of Christ, the spiritual organism. And he builds his church by adding to its number. And that happens when people are saved, rescued, delivered, forgiven, reconciled. And Romans chapter 10 teaches that the way people are saved is they hear the good news of salvation in Jesus. Okay? And the way that they even believe the gospel, God has chosen to have it be through proclamation. Proclaiming, then people hear, and that brings about, as God sovereignly chooses, faith. And faith leads to salvation. So where I want to go with this is, have you seen it in Romans chapter 10? But I want you to understand, and I want to be reminded, and I want to be accountable to you, We want to be used by God as He builds His church. We want to be used by the Lord. And so how do we do that? What we do is we proclaim the gospel. Because God has ordered it that way. He is ordained, if you want to use that word. He set it up this way. People are saved by believing in the gospel. But how are they going to believe? Well, they first have to hear. And Romans 10 says, faith, you have to believe to be saved, comes via hearing. Okay? You follow me or not? As my kids would say, am I going too fast for you? Um, probably not. Maybe too slow. Romans chapter 10 is super, super helpful. How about verse 13? For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's saved from condemnation in our context. Saved from what we deserve. Saved from hell. Saved from judgment. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Then let's keep reading in verse 14. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming or preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or proclaim or herald the good news. Then 16 says, And they have not all obeyed the gospel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? 17. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing 
through the Word of Christ. So faith is required. If we just focus on verse 17, faith is what you you believe in Jesus for salvation. You have faith for salvation. Faith, belief, same word, uh, means trust. So faith, trusting in Jesus, comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ, which is another way of saying in our context, the gospel. So, here's what I want you to be saying to yourself. Are you saying, Pat, are you saying, that we proclaim the gospel and God uses that to bring about people's faith and that leads to them being saved? I want you to be thinking that. Pat, are you saying that we proclaim and God uses that to bring about faith and faith then trusts in Jesus, the word of Christ, and, and then they're justified or they're saved? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. That doesn't mean it happens every time, right? We, we just studied the gospel according to John. In John chapter 3, uh, Jesus taught how the Spirit that brings about new life, which would bring about faith, the Spirit sovereignly, freely moves wherever He wants to go. Like, kind of like the wind, I'm paraphrasing Jesus. You see its effects, but, you, but you're, you, you're not sovereign over the wind. But you see what it does. So I'm not saying, Romans chapter 10 isn't saying, every time you preach, every single time, people will have faith and they will believe in Jesus and they will be saved. That wouldn't even fit Romans chapter 10 and 11. But what we are saying, and what I want you to know, and find encouragement from, God has set it up this way. Let's connect it to Matthew 16, Jesus builds his church by people getting saved and him adding to the number of the church. How does this happen? We proclaim the good news about Jesus. Via that proclamation, through the proclamation, God has set it up this way then to bring about faith in people's lives. If we want to go back to Romans chapter 8, faith in the elect Because not everybody's going to believe. He uses the proclamation to bring about faith, and faith then is in Jesus, and that leads to them being justified. You following me? Hope you're following me. And by the way, this is classic, traditional Reformation perspective. I didn't make this up last night after dinner. But a lot of times what happens is we get confused. We think our role is to convert people. Our role is, our our job is to build a church or something else. Or maybe people just get saved because somehow out of nowhere, you know, God taps them on the shoulder. No, in the Bible, God uses means. And he's chosen to use the means of proclamation. And here's where it gets exciting. That's why I preach. That's why I proclaim. Right? This is why we, we do, we proclaim in church. This is why we proclaim in cubicles. We got rear-ended the other day and I was proclaiming in the cruiser. Right? Talking to the, to the officer. This is why we proclaim on our athletic teams, at school, in the office, over lunch, family, Christmas Eve service. Whether it's in church, out of church, we're, we're called to proclaim. We're proclaimers. Not because we can save people, but we know God uses it, and we know that faith, if anybody's ever going to believe, and you have to believe to be saved, faith comes by hearing. 
so exciting. And it's so important. And it's so important for you to know that. That's why I want you to be a proclaimer. And what's so interesting is, you know enough, if you know just a little bit, that you can proclaim the gospel. And you can tell people about who Jesus is. It's one of the reasons why I love studying gospels. We just studied the gospel according to John. And here is Jesus in all of these different settings, in all of these different kind of scenarios. He's with legalists sometimes. He's with libertarians at other times. He's with people who know a lot. He's with people who don't know very much. He's, people, he's with people who are part of the right religion, people who are the, with the wrong religion, people who aren't religious. And as he engages and interacts with them, we get to watch and learn. I heard a lady yesterday, a public intellectual, let's call her, and, and she said, I'm agnostic. And the interviewer was saying, why are you agnostic? Well, I'm agnostic because I'm a facts person. I'm into objectivity and history. And so I can't believe in God because there isn't any objective evidence. And there isn't any history behind it. Now, I'm not willing to say I'm an atheist, but I'll just say I'm an agnostic. And the interviewer then asked her if she believed in aliens from other planets. And she said she did. Now, we laugh, we chuckle. But see, I, I, I wouldn't base my salvation on it, but I have a pretty good level of confidence that many, 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 many of you in this room could have a good conversation with that woman. A good conversation where you would actually be able to proclaim the good news of salvation in a way that's thoughtful, reasonable, and that it would even answer a fool according to their folly. Especially if you've been here for our study of the gospel according to John. No historic evidence? It makes me excited. Not that she doesn't believe, but we have such great opportunities. It's amazing. Faith comes by hearing. I want to remember that. I want you to remember that. I, I have friends, I want them to become Christians so badly. So I pray for them. I know God has to do it. I can't do it. I look for opportunities. I invite them to things. But I also talk. I listen, right? But I talk because I know faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ. Let me encourage you to talk. Listen and then talk. Let's move on to another one. Number three. A third thing that will happen this next year. Jesus will build His church. Number one, faith will come by hearing. Number three, hardship will happen. Hardship will happen. I'm going to do this one really quick because I don't like this one. I'm going to read from Job 5 and Job 14, only one verse from each chapter. But, but as your pastor, I want you to remember that this next year, hardship will happen. Regardless of what they're telling you on YouTube or TV. Remember, it's a broken world. Ever since sin occurred in the world, it's been a broken world, and with sin comes death, 
and all of its bad friends, meaning suffering. So for you to expect only good this next year in your life and circumstance would be would, would, be, would be delusional. I know what happens when something goes bad and well-meaning friends say, it's going to be okay. But eventually, even if it is okay in the short run, eventually it's not okay. Just someone with a brain should be able to figure that out. Who only has natural revelation. Who just lives their life and goes, yeah, I, I get it. But you all have the Bible to also help you understand. Special revelation. Thankfully, this is not how it ends. Thankfully, we have hope beyond the suffering now and beyond the grave. But we've got to know that this next year might, might be awesome. But suffering is going to happen this next year. This room is filled with people who are living testimonies of the fact that it's happened this last year. We just got to know that. And the Bible, the, the Bible doesn't say something else. Lots of people you know, going back to point number two, you know think that you think that the Bible says everything's going to be wonderful. In this life, it's not. Physical suffering, emotional suffering, relationship suffering, spiritual suffering... Job chapter 5, verse 2. Job is super confusing because you don't always know if they're right or they're wrong. (laughs) It's an intimidating book. Because sometimes the advice is the right advice, sometimes the advice is the wrong advice, or it's the right advice at the wrong time. Job is hard. But I think we're going to do okay here. And I chose two verses in case I'm wrong about one of them. (laughs) Job chapter 5, verse 7. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. It's just common sense. Your life is, man is born for trouble. Then chapter 14, verse 1 says, Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. might be good on a headstone. (laughs) I I hate to use this too many times because we use it all the time and it's just like, you know, beating a dead horse. Um, But Christianity does not teach, never has taught, never will teach that you'll have your best life now. That's a lie that's anti-biblical. I know Joel Olstein is a nice-looking person with a million-dollar smile, and when I met him and talked to him, he was very nice. And so were his bodyguards. But he's a liar. And you know lots of people who believe his lies. And sometimes you might believe his lies. And if it's not him, it's somebody else. You're born for trouble because... It's a fallen world. It's a broken world. And you've got to just know that that's how it is. And that's why when things are good and positive, you think, this is awesome. Oh, and by the way, we live in a first world country where we've got it so good. I'm so mad because church is cold today. What a stupid church. 
what a great church. We can actually meet and we're like, you know, semi-cozy and comfortable. But perspective-wise, the world is broken and tragedy and horrific things are happening all around and then we get our fair share too. As the bumper sticker says and as the rock album says, life sucks and then you die. Now thankfully, your life doesn't have to suck especially in light of Ecclesiastes, that if you understand who God is and how He works and how redemption works, you can actually live in a broken, pretty sucky world and actually get something out of it and enjoy it. Because we know better. We know about hope. We have special revelation in Christ. So I don't want you to have a bad year. I want you to have a great year. I want you to be able to have joy. But joy isn't going to come from you thinking life is supposed to be wonderful and it's not. No broken world, suffering difficulty, and I'm kind of having fun a little bit along the way some days. It's way better. Not a perfect illustration, but sometimes I like to think of life as like the roller coaster. I'm not a huge roller coaster fan, but I'm willing to do it for my kids' sake sometimes. And what do you do on the roller coaster? You know, it's terrifying. This past summer we went on the Hulk ride. You know, wherever you are in the park, it's going, Rah! and everybody's going, ah, you know, we're going to die. It's terrifying. That was not the best. Anyway, it's kind of like that. But you get on the roller coaster, and you're at, you pay money for this. And it, you launch, and it's horrific and terrible, and everybody's screaming, you know, before it's over. Some people got their hands up in the air. It's kind of fun. Not a perfect illustration, but life is terrifying. Life is filled with difficulty. Life is filled with tears. But along the way, you can have a little bit of fun. And by the way, the reason you can have fun on the roller coaster is because generally speaking, you know it's going to end well. Statistically, st- statistics are on your side, okay? And knowing that it's going to end well, you can have a little fun along the way. We're going to see this in Christ. It's going to end well for you, okay? And God cares. And so along the way, you might take your hands off a couple times and say, you know what, this is pretty fun. And give Him glory and honor for it. Okay, we better move on, um, or it'll be warm in here before I'm done. (laughs) Number four, persecution will happen. It didn't get better. Persecution will happen. We'll do this one quickly. Let's go uh, John 15, 2 Timothy 3. I'll read Philippians chapter 1. It's related to the first one, but it's a little bit of a double whammy because life is going to be hard as it is. And if you're a Christian, somewhere along the way, you're going to be persecuted for being a Christian. Hopefully it's not because you're a jerk. Hopefully it's not because you're insensitive. Hopefully it's something you're actually receiving because you're being faithful to the gospel. But Jesus did say in John chapter 15, John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
20. Remember the word that I have said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they perse- Here we go. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. Probably keying in on most of all, in my mind at least, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also or also persecute you. On, on the meta scale, big picture, sometimes in Christian history, in the history of the church, this has been super intense. Other times it's not been. Depends where you live. Depends what your family is like, what kind of background you come from. But in one way or another, in your Christian life, there's going to be persecution, there's going to be hostility, there's going to be tension. It might be in your marriage, it might be, in, be between you and your kids, or grandkids, or friends, or boss, or you name it. But there is hostility that comes because of the gospel. Second Timothy chapter 3 is another important passage because we might want to think that John 15 only related to the immediate disciples, but it's expanded beyond that. In Second Timothy chapter 3, I'll just cut to the chase. It says in verse 12 of Second Timothy 3, Indeed, all who desire to live godly, to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Interestingly enough, unsettlingly enough, in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. That would seem to indicate that some of the people who will persecute you will be people who, at least at one point in time, if not still, name the name of Christ. Because they're imposters. Philippians chapter 1, I won't take the time to read it. A little bit of pastoral advice for you. One, one would be, you should know this. Another bit of advice would be, since we're supposed to learn from people who are, who are wiser than we are, at least find some people who've been a Christian long enough or, or long enough to have been persecuted and who have matured in their faith and try to learn from them. And where I'm going is sometimes what we do is we're, we're, we're new, we're excited, we're zealous, or maybe we're not very new, we're just not very mature, and it seems like some of the trouble we get ourselves in is more self-inflicted because we're not very winsome, because we're not thoughtful, because we don't do like the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, insofar as you can, seek to be at peace with everyone. And, and, and mature Christians are more mature about that. They, they seem to have grown in the art, if you will, of living as a Christian amidst people who aren't Christians. And it doesn't mean they're compromisers. But they are seeking to be at peace with all people insofar as they can. We might say it this way, they're, they're choosing their hills to die on. They're choosing their battles. 
and how to go about it. And the longer I'm a Christian, the more I like looking for people like that because I want to get better at it. Because I know in the past, sometimes I've just been a jerk and I just deserved it and I called it persecution. And maybe it was persecution, but I didn't need to do what I did to get myself into it. It's interesting how in the Bible, people who are old are affirmed and people who are young are affirmed. And I think I've said this before and I haven't done it, which is why I need a savior because I don't always tell the truth. Um, I would like to do a study sometime and and, and have that be even a a study that we would do together. The, The value of those who are older and the value of those who are younger because sometimes we think it's only the old or only the young. And it's actually the Bible would affirm both and how we actually need each other. For example, the young have the energy, but not always the wisdom. But that's maybe for next New Year's. <laughs> Persecution is a promise if you identify with Jesus. But isn't it interesting, though, the more we learn and the more we grow about what the gospel is that we're not supposed to be ashamed of, it's the gospel of free grace. Do nothing. Trust in Him and Him alone. There's nothing you could do to earn it. And that is what leads to a right standing before God. seems like people would like to hear that. It's amazing how many people don't like to hear that. Somebody told me that, and I, don't, I hate to use church as an example because then it sounds like it's the only place where this happens, but it's, it's just one, one illustration. So, somebody said to me on Sunday or uh, Christmas, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, I don't know, they were sitting next to someone who was making such loud noises of frustration that eventually she said to the lady next to her, are you okay? But it was... <laughs> She thought she was having like a medical emergency or something. She was okay. She just wasn't okay with hearing Adam number one, condemnation. Adam number two, justification. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Sort of made my Christmas. to tell people good news that if you trust in Jesus, God will accept you. It's so awesome. And maybe first somebody has to be offended, but I know that faith comes by hearing. Let's move on. Let's move on to number five. Everything will be good in Christ. Everything will be good in Christ. And this is Romans chapter 8, which we read earlier for our scripture reading. Everything will be good in Christ. If you would look there with me, we'll look at the very first verse, we'll skip a lot of the good stuff, and we'll pick it up at the end. So we talked about the suffering, we talked about persecution, and and let's be honest with ourselves and not be delusional, but you have to, have to, have to, have to know that in the end, ultimately, it is all good in Christ. So, how about chapter 8, verse 1? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, it's so awesome, right? To start there. There is therefore now, not future, now. And he's talking to people who've believed in Jesus. He's not talking to mature Christians. 
They've trusted in Jesus. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And condemnation is the negative side. Condemned, guilty, legal, right? Of the what's the opposite, positive, justification. Before God the judge, you're declared righteous, even though you're not, because of Jesus. In Adam, you're condemned, and your life is worthy of it as well. So, no condemnation in our context. It's because you have justification, which is by faith in Jesus. So, it starts off there. So, if you have that, right? If you have that, all of the other things... Not that they're not real, not that your suffering isn't real or the complexities aren't real, but perspective-wise, you can, you can rivet your attention and your gaze and your focus on the horizon because everything is going to be all right because your biggest problem has been taken care of. So awesome. Now we have to skip a bunch of stuff. I'm sorry to do it. Work of the Spirit, uh, e- even the... The suffering that happens in the world, verse 19, even the creation is, is groaning and waiting because of all the terrible things that happen in the world. The groaning in verse 22. But he does give us the hope because we're in Christ, because we don't have condemnation, that it's, that it's now for us, it's like childbirth pains. Right? So you're waiting for something good to happen, where it wouldn't have been the case if you weren't in Christ. But now it's real pain. I've been in that room, right? I haven't experienced it, but it looks real. Real pain, but there's joy that's before, after because something good is happening, right? And in Christ, you're going to be raised from the dead, and so it's real pain, but it's towards something that's going to be good. 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, see? But that's chapter 8, verse 1, driving that thing. No condemnation. It's going to work for our good because we can't be condemned for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? Right? And and what does he mean for us to say? What shall we say to these things? He's expecting that we'll say, Awesome! This is great! We're so confused in Christianity that what shall we say to these things? I don't like that. (laughs) Right? So weird. It's so weird that we hear good, positive things that set our vision straight and we say, I don't think I like predestination. You're a total basket case idiot. What are you thinking? Did I just say that? I think I did. It's, it's in the context of suffering. It's in the context of living in a broken world. It's in the context of all Christians should say, awesome! It's going to end right for me because I'm in Christ. It changes everything. It makes things sure. That's why we say it's going to all be okay in Christ. It's just absolutely amazing. So it ends with the familiar words that you know. Uh, We're connecting dots here. 37. uh, How about 38? For I am sure. How could you be sure? Oh, because that bad P word. That's actually a good P word. I am sure 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, so amazing. I can tell you in the year ahead and the next year and the next year and the next year and the next year, it's going to be okay. I know that it is because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Okay, number six. Opportunities for love will abound. Opportunities for love will abound. John 13, I'm going super fast. Sorry about that, or you're welcome. John, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay? Fruit of the Spirit is love. We're to love one another. We're to excel at loving as Christians. And opportunities for you to love other people will abound. When don't you have an opportunity to love unbelievers, which we're also called to do. We're not looking at that right now. But you're called to love believers. Opportunities will be everywhere. And it's an opportunity for you to show I belong to Jesus because that's what he did. So that's what we're supposed to do in 2018 and 19 and 20. And what are, how are Christians supposed to act? Christians are supposed to love. They're supposed to do things that would benefit other people, even if it's at a cost to them. Love. Okay? Now, you remember, we've learned, we're called to love God and love neighbor, and we don't. And so it leads to condemnation. But then when we're in Christ, we are justified, we have justification, and now God sees us and treats us as if we had loved Him and loved neighbor perfectly. Law is fulfilled, and then (laughs) we're in Christ, we're united to Christ, we're believers, we are justified, and now we have a new law. Because we have a new standing. We're called to love God and love neighbor because now we do so because we're justified, not in order to be justified. And now we're called to obey. If you want a resolution for next year, love. But not for your justification, but because you already have your justification and you're not terrified of going to hell because there's therefore now no condemnation. And now you're free to love. Free to act like a human. Free to love other people. It's amazing. Lord willing, we're going to study 1 John next. Not next as in today, but next in our book studies. And 1 John is going to be a great partner to John because John is eternal life because Jesus loved on your behalf and fulfilled the law. And now that you're a Christian, you need to do the right things. Because you're a Christian. Things like loving God and loving neighbor. And so it's the living out of your Christianity. We'll talk about that in 1 John, in the days ahead. Finally, finally, number seven, a seventh thing that will happen this year. Some will meet Jesus. Some will meet Jesus, and I don't mean for salvation. I mean as that step toward glorification. Maybe some of you. If I, 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 I'm not a betting person. I've been thinking about playing the lottery because you have to play to win. But I have enough bad habits already, so I probably won't. But if I were a betting person, I would bet that someone in this room will breathe their last breath and step into eternity in 2018. 
right? There are, there are saints who are members of this church who seem closer than some of the rest of us. Or it might be someone who doesn't seem very close. Breathe your last breath apart from Christ. You get what you deserve, condemnation. That's who you don't want to be. Breathe your last breath in Christ. So sure that it's spoken of in the past tense in Romans chapter 8. Glorification. Guaranteed glorification. If it doesn't happen to Pat on his silly bicycle getting hit by a semi-truck in 2018, it'll happen in one of the other years through some means. It's going to happen to every single one on planet Earth. You got to know that. You got to know that. Right? We're not Christian scientists, which, like John MacArthur says, it's like grape nuts. It's neither grape nor nuts. It's not Christian nor science. Okay? So, so we believe in death. You're going to die. You're not going to pass away, which is a Christian science thing. You're going to die. And you're going to die for condemnation apart from Jesus, or you're going to die for glorification because you've trusted in Jesus who conquered the grave and was raised again from the dead. And you've got to be ready for that. You've got to be ready for that now. And I'm not trying to play gimmicks with you so I can build this church and convert you right now. <laughs> I'm just telling you the truth. And faith comes by hearing. So believe, the Bible says, believe in Jesus and you will have eternal life. You've got to trust in Him. You've got to trust in Him. If I had a point number eight, which I do, but I just had, in the year ahead, God will be glorified. God will be glorified. And by the way, God is glorified in justifying sinners, and He is glorified in condemning sinners, because He's God, and He always does what's just and right. Believe in Jesus. Glorify God as one who belongs to Him. I plead with you. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is victorious. Thank you for the fact that Jesus said in John chapter 14 that He would go and prepare a place for not only the, the disciples, but for disciples who would come after the disciples. And we are thankful that Jesus left to prepare a place so that we might dwell with Him, so that we might live with Him in His Father's house as He said. And may we be prepared for that, whether it happened in our life this year or some other year. May that be true in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day uh, of enjoying God's grace. And remember, there's no such thing as a silent witness. Faith comes by hearing. Tell people the good news about Jesus as you go. Amen? Have a great day.